morning, everyone. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mandy, as has been said. Um, I'm a member, I was a member of the former Hive Community Church before we joined with Flow Church back in September. Married to Matt, got two children, Rachel and Joel. Um, living stains upon Thames, have done for most of my life when it was just plain old stains. Uh, I work in a local primary school with uh, reception age children, age four to five. And in the sake of honesty, probably one of my worst habits, one, I have a few, is that I get really easily distracted. And you'll know that's true if you've ever been to my house and I've offered to make you a tea or coffee, or if I've sent you, a if you sent me a text message and you've been waiting for a reply. I get distracted, but this morning I'm not going to get easily distracted and we're going to go straight into our second word in our series of Eden education. And it's lessons in change from Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. Now last week, Liam started the series and he looked at Genesis 3 and he looked at the story, were you here, of Adam and Eve in the garden. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to jump forward to the next generation into Genesis 4 and uh, look at the first two children that were born to Adam and Eve. Two boys, do you know their names? Eldest, Cain, and then there was Abel. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, a bit of a spoiler alert, it does not end well, okay? It doesn't end well. In fact, what we have here is the first record of the very first murder, the first time that one human being takes the life of another human being. That's what we have here. So we're going to read the story of Cain and Abel, and the word should come up behind us, and it's Genesis 4. Okay, so now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were there, I told you it done well, in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. I can imagine saying, I know, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. <laughs> Quite heavy reading there, isn't it? But, um, you know, last week, uh, Liam spoke about um, 
Adam and Eve in the garden, and they came face to face with the enemy, didn't they? The devil appeared as a serpent, and uh, they had the choice, because with true love, there's always a choice. And they were tempted, and they chose to sin. They said yes to sin. And um, that was the case in the garden. Now, that sin had massive consequences. Initially, Adam and Eve had to get out of the garden. That was the first consequence. But then there were much bigger, far wider reaching consequences. Secondly, death became a thing. Up until that point, you know, the plan was for Adam and Eve to live in that garden forever. Suddenly death became a thing. And the other thing that happened, which is what we're thinking about this morning, is that from that point onwards, every human being born was born with a sinful nature, kind of like a predisposition to sin, yeah, in them. David, King David in Psalm 51, when he writes about, you know, actually he's just messed up pretty badly, and it's kind of this psalm asking for God's forgiveness. He says, you know, surely I was sinful from birth, you know, from the time my mother conceived me. Now, I don't know if you've ever held a newborn baby or been around a really young child, have you? Yeah? But you might think, really, David? Are you sure about that, David? You know, they look so pure, so innocent. Yeah? I don't know if you've ever been around a two-year-old. And you've just put them on the naughty step for the tenth time in the last half an hour. You're like, okay, David, maybe you've got a point. Yeah? As I said, I work in a primary school, and it's really interesting. This struggle between doing what you should do and what you shouldn't do, it's really laid bare. A few weeks ago, I was teaching in a reception class, and um, two children came up to me and said, Mrs. Bennett, so-and-so is throwing Lego in the corner. So I go to investigate. Are you throwing, I talked to the little boy, are you throwing Lego? His name is Ben. It was actually Ben. Are you throwing, (laughs) Ben, are you (laughs) are you throwing, have you been throwing Lego? He looked me in the eye. No. No. Are you sure? Because I've had two people tell me that you've been throwing Lego. No, wasn't me. By the way, he is surrounded by Lego. I'm not even joking. It is everywhere. Third time. Now, are you sure? Think hard. Were you throwing Lego? No. In the eyes. Fourth time, I say to him, now listen. The thing is, if you don't tell me the truth, about what really happened, I said, then it makes me really hard to believe you next time. If you tell me the truth, we can deal with it and move on. Did you throw the Lego? Yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. You know, and we don't have to look at two-year-olds or four or five-year-olds to know. Actually, if we look at ourselves and we're honest, we know we all have, don't we, in us, we all have a part of us that wants to please God, but we also have this part of us, this sinful nature that battles against it. Paul says in Romans um, 7, 15, he says, I don't understand myself sometimes, the things I do. I do not do what I want to do, and I do the things I hate. It's a struggle, It's a struggle. And here, in this story, we find Cain in the midst of this struggle. We see him, you know, he's angry, he's jealous, he's feeling cross that God accepted his brother's offering and he didn't accept his. The devil isn't standing there with a rock saying, go and take it, take it, you know, go and get your brother, he deserves it anyway. He doesn't do that. Because now the struggle is internal. 
yeah? It's about the inner, inner struggle between our sinful nature. And uh, we find Cain in this position. And what we also see is we see the absolute goodness of God. What a loving parent he is. He sees the struggle. And let me tell you, he sees our struggle. He sees the struggle and he steps in and he tries to help because that's how much he loves us. And it's interesting, he doesn't say, he doesn't just kind of shut it down and say, right, Cain, stop moping, get up, get back to the field and get it right next time. He doesn't do that. One, because we know that true love requires choice, but also because he's trying to teach him a lesson that is going to help him going forwards. This isn't a one-moment one sin where he feels angry, and then everything gets better. We know that it is a continual struggle with our sinful nature. So he tries to teach him. You know, talk about Eden education. This is a lesson straight from the mouth of God. And he steps in and he says to Cain, he says, Cain, he says, you've not done what is right. And because of that, he says, sin is crouching at your door. In other words, sin is close, Cain. You're one step away from doing something that is really going to displease me, yeah? Sin is after you. It wants to control you. Your sinful nature wants to rule you. And then he says, but, (laughs) but you must rule it. You must control it. Now, in a really bleak story, and it is pretty bleak, isn't it? It's quite heavy. To me... That lesson that God teaches Cain just fills me with hope. Because what he says is, yes, you have a sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature. He says, but you don't have to let it rule you. Sinful habits don't have to control you. You know, you might have this nature, but it does not have to rule you. You can rule it. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I really want to progress in my journey of becoming more Christ-like. Do you? Yeah, I want to live a life that is pleasing to God. I want to live a life where his goodness is shown through me, where I bring him glory. Yeah, and the one thing that's going to stop us becoming more like the sinless Christ is if we're still ruled by our sinful nature. So this morning, I just want us, if God says it it can happen, it's true, we can rule our sinful nature. I just want us to look at a few hows, three little hows. It's not a definitive, you know, you can go away, you can read Romans 7, Romans 8, Galatians 5. All those chapters really deal with this inner struggle with our sinful nature. But I just want to start us thinking on our little journey of our ruling our sinful nature. So we're going to do that. Before I do, I just want to make one more point sort of general point and it's this you know we might look at the story of Cain and Abel and we might think well you know I don't get it right all the time but I haven't murdered anyone you know I'm not that bad yeah and we can become kind of a little bit detached from the story but the Bible tells us that just as sin entered the world through one man Adam forgiveness and grace entered the world through one man Jesus And it's really true that Jesus came so that forgiveness could be really easy for us. You know, it's not, we just have to believe in him. He's done it all. But what Jesus didn't say is that, and in that case, sin doesn't really matter anymore. If anything, (laughs) Jesus came to raise the level of purity that is expected of us. 
Did you know it actually says in Matthew 5, Jesus actually says, you know, you're familiar with the old command, do not murder. He says, you know, but that is well known to everyone. And most of us, we try not to murder anyone. But then he says, but I'm telling you, if you even harbor anger in your heart, same thing. Yeah? He raises that level. Then he says, you know, you've heard the old, the, the old rule. You know the law not to commit adultery. But he says, I'm telling you, if you look with lust at someone else, you know, in your heart, that's the same as committing adultery. He raises that level because what he does is instead of it being about the external sin, you know, the things that you can see, he takes like this magnifying glass to our hearts like a microscope and he goes like now it's about your heart now you know it costs me so much for you to get this forgiveness now it's about your hearts with this new special relationship where I'm meant to dwell in your heart we need to make sure our heart is an acceptable place for Jesus to live so we're going to have a little look at some of the hows is that okay yeah and it will just start us on our journey and I just want us to think it's about our hearts yeah? It's not just what we're seen to do, it's about our internal, our hearts. Okay, so the first thing, I've got three little points. The first one is that we need to be aware. Okay, we need to be aware. Anyone like a bit of technology? Yeah? I live in a house where my husband quite likes a bit of technology. With his Christmas money, he bought himself a drone. Yeah? It wasn't before Christmas, he wasn't made that way, I just like point that out. But he bought himself a drone. Uh, a few years before that, he bought one of those, you know, those virtual reality goggles where you can, yeah, he's got one of those tucked in a cupboard, really useful. Um, and we've got a couple of Alexas in the house. Rachel got one for Christmas, that's upstairs, one downstairs. Anyone got an Alexa? Yeah? Anyone familiar with Alexa? Okay, for those who aren't familiar with Alexa, it's basically like this little wireless speaker. And um, you can talk to her, and because she connects with the whole of the world wide web or whatever she can give you the answer so you can say alexa what's the weather going to be like today and she'll say to you in stains upon thames it's going to be blowing a gale or whatever it might be joel has discovered that this really cuts down on his maths homework time because <laughs> he can sit there and he'll be like alexa what's nine times seven and she'll say nine multiplied by seven is very good where was that one? <laughs> But it's not just about what she can tell you. Oh, no, we've moved on from there. Because also, you can get some attachments, some extra devices to work with Alexa. So we have wireless light bulbs. So you can say, Alexa, turn the light on. And the light comes on. We even have, I kid you not, a wireless kettle. So you can sit, yeah, you can sit on your sofa... You can sit on your sofa watching the TV and you can say, Alexa, turn the kettle on. Ding! On goes the kettle. Incredible. You can even have the other switches so you can turn on the lamp. Alexa, turn on the lamp and she'll do it. She doesn't always work. It can be frustrating. If I say to Alexa, turn on Joel's bedroom light, the number of times she said, I'm sorry, I don't know Joe's bedroom light. And you're like, not Joe, jo but anyway. Joel. Turn on Joel's bedroom light. 
Now, a few weeks ago, a little while ago, when the weather was cold, um, we'd plugged in a fan heater into the Alexa special socket. So you could say, Alexa, turn the fan on, and ding, the fan comes on and heats the room up. Well, one night, I'd got the children to bed. They'd gone upstairs, and I was um, downstairs doing a bit of tidying up. It is a true story. I was tidying up, for those who know me. <laughs> um, but I was, and then suddenly, the fan comes on. I was like, Alexa, turn the fan off. It goes off. I carry on, do a bit more. Suddenly, it comes on again. I was like, Alexa, turn the fan off. And so I went and I checked it. I turned it on, I turned it off, I lifted it up because it's one of those sensitive ones. Put it down again. Alexa, turn that. And she stopped, carried on. You know what happens. Ding, on comes the fan. Alexa, will you please turn the fan off? And then I stopped. And then I thought for a moment, and I thought, it is really quiet upstairs. <laughs> it is quiet upstairs. So like a stealth-like ninja, I started to creep up the stairs. Yeah. No creaks. Quiet, quiet. I got halfway up. I heard a little voice. Alexa, turn the fan on. <laughs> I'll let you guess which one of my ch children it was. Alexa, turn the fan on. Right, I'd heard it now. So I carried on, creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. I got just, it was the best timing possible because I just got to the door of their bedroom as Joel was about to open the door to hear my reaction, probably, Alexa, what are you doing? Turn, just as he opened the door, I was there. And I did the classic, what are you doing? Like that. He jumped, I cannot tell you. He screamed and he jumped so high because I completely caught off guard. I got you, found you out. It wasn't Alexa after all. Why did I tell you that story? Well, I completely caught Joel off guard. Yeah, He wasn't aware of my presence at the top of the stairs and that gave me the upper hand in the situation. And what we don't want to do is give our sinful nature the upper hand. We need to be aware. You know, when we come to Christ for the first time, we come in our brokenness, we come in our sinfulness, we, we have arms full of mistakes, and we lay it at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, we receive Jesus' forgiveness. He washes our hearts, doesn't he? Do you remember that first time when you received the good news that Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross? He washes us clean. He makes us new. But what we remember, need to remember that even in our newness, Sin is still crouching at the door of our hearts. And not only that, but we're new, but we have to step back into the same old world. And the world in which we live doesn't have the levels of purity that God expects. And yet in it, we're asked to be holy as he is holy. Um, in the world we live, I would say the general kind of ethos is, well, if it makes you happy, that's okay. But for us... As new creations in Christ, it should be, do you know what? If it makes God happy, if it pleases the Father, then it's okay. And we live in a world that is largely ruled by the power of darkness, and yet people don't see it. I, there's that line, isn't there, from The Usual Suspects that says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. You know, and the statistics will tell you, people are willing to believe in some kind of higher power of good, but much less likely to believe that there is a devil, power of evil. 
And yet, when we look out, we can see his influence, can't we? You know, the same old stuff he was pulling in the Garden of Eden, spilling lies and deceit and, and trying to intentionally ruin the good things that God has created, he's still doing it now. And it says in the Bible that we cannot be shaped by this world. So we come to God in our newness, we go back into the old world, but we've got to guard our hearts. We have to be aware that there are things in this world that will press triggers to try and reignite that sinful nature, and we have to guard it. Regular heart checks. Regular, regular heart checks. You know, I think that's probably why Jesus gave us the practice of communion, wasn't it? You know, remember my death. What I've done till you come till I come again. Or the Lord's Prayer, you know, the themes in there of repentance and confession and making sure our will is aligned. But do you know I think the greatest resource for us is the Word of God. If we want a really good heart check, read the Word of God. It really interests me, David. He messed up really badly, didn't he? Like he, he did some really serious things. Not, I'm sure all sin is the same in God's eyes. But, you know, when you look at his story, you know, some pretty big things. And he couldn't see it, could he? He didn't recognize it in himself until, until the prophet um, came to him and spoke the word of God. And then he's like, oh, that's me. And then he saw it. And I tell us, if we read the Bible, if we digest it, then God will make us aware of the sin that is crouching at our doors. He will. You know, Mandy, as I read it, you know, pride's crouching. You know, you're beginning to care a bit more about what other people think of you than what I think of you, for example. Whatever it is, you know, we need to be aware. We need to guard our hearts. Don't be caught off guard by our sinful natures. Yeah? That's the first thing, so be aware. I'll just read you Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And then it says, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If we read God's word, he will speak to us. He'll, say, he'll tell us it's a proper heart check. Okay, the second thing is this. Be ruthless. Okay, so be aware, when it comes to sin, be ruthless. Now, we don't have a choice whether we have a sinful nature or not, do we? We inherited that from Adam. Thank you, Adam. Yeah? But whether we allow sin to take root in our hearts and whether we choose to act on sin is our choice. And I find that there's normally this kind of window of opportunity between the sinful nature kind of rising up and the point where we actually do something about it. And it's in that window of opportunity, that middle ground, we just need to nip it in the bud and we need to be ruthless with it. Yeah. So for Cain, he was feeling angry, wasn't he? He was angry. He, by the way, he had no right to be angry. It wasn't like a competition where God said, right, you two, bring me your best offering and I'll decide which is the best. God said to him, look, if you'd have bought me something of worth, I would have accepted your offering too. It's just he was a bit lazy, wasn't he? He didn't give God his best. So he had no right to feel angry, but he was feeling angry. And he has this window of opportunity. You know, God speaks to him directly. And at that point, he could have said, you know what? God's right, you know, I'm going to go back to the field, I'm going to carry on working, I'll try again another time. But he doesn't. What he does is he broods. He thinks it over. He allows that anger to take root 
in his heart. And once he's done that, it's taken root, then out of that comes a sinful action. He kills his brother. In the same way, David, you know, he was meant to be um, with his army, and yet he finds himself taking some time off in the palace. He's walking around the palace. He looks out the window, and he sees the most beautiful woman bathing. Now, he has a window of opportunity. He can avert his gaze. He can walk back the other way, but he doesn't. He lingers. He watches. He looks, and he allows desire for someone who was not his to take root in his heart. Yeah, he had the opportunity to nip it in the bud. He had the opportunity to be ruthless with sin, but he didn't. He allowed it to grow. He dwelt on it. And then because of that, he then went out and he committed a sin. And actually it spiraled out of control because then he had to commit another sin, adultery first, and then he ordered the murder of Bathsheba's husband to try and cover it all up. We need to be ruthless with sin. Jesus says this, he says, It's the most horrible image, actually. But he says, you know, if your eye (laughs) is causing you to sin, gouge it out. (laughs) It's horrific, isn't it? It's a horrible, horrible image. But he says, gouge it out and throw it away. Because he said, it's better to live with just one eye than it is to suffer the consequences of sin. Jesus says, be ruthless with sin. One, because of the consequences, but I also feel like sin is what cost our precious Jesus his life. Yeah, for that very reason, sin, we sing that that song, you know, it was my sin. It held him there. My sin caused Jesus to suffer and face so much, and it was my sin. And for that reason, I would want to just be ruthless with it. I don't want any part of it anymore. Nip it in the bud. I want to give you an image for what it means, what it could look like to be ruthless with sin or to nip it in the bud. And I've turned to a classic, which is Indiana Jones. I'm not sure which one it is. Sorry, Tim. Tim will tell you after. He's a massive fan. But um, have a look at this clip, and hopefully it's going to give you a visual. Which one was it, Tim? Thank you very much. I knew you'd know. Raiders of the Last Ark. But do you see there? Like, sin is like, come on, engage with me. Come on. Come closer to me. What does he do? Nips it in the bud. That wasn't a very good gun noise, was it? But he nips it in the bud. He says, no. No. (laughs) And, you know, in the same way, we need to be ruthless, you know? If drinking really heavily leads us to behave in a way that we wouldn't do normally, then stop heavy drinking. You know, if having a computer or a TV on in your bedroom makes you watch things that you wouldn't watch if you're in the open in another room, then don't have it in your bedroom. If being on Facebook, 
you know, causes issues, don't be on Facebook. Or if certain people on Facebook, defriend them. You know, we need to be ruthless with the sin in our lives. Just as a little example for me, and it's going to be different for all of us. That's the other thing. You know, the sin that crouches at my door will probably be different to the sin at yours. But, you know, just an example from now, now, if I want to buy a book, I don't get much chance to read, but if I want to buy a book if I'm going on holiday, I quite like a romance, like a girly kind of one of those books. I'm not a serious reader anymore. I did my degree in English. Now I can just read what I want. Um, But, you know, now if I'm buying a book, I always get the sample on Kindle. You know, I get, like, the first chapter. And then I can make a decision. If it's full of blasphemy, bad language, sex, if it's full of kind of immorality, I don't buy it. Because that is not going to feed my spirit. That is going to feed my sinful nature. Yeah? So we need to be ruthless, 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 like Indiana Jones' sin. Right, the final point. I'm going to move really quickly. The final point and the most important point, and I say the most important point because the first two, being aware and um, being ruthless, (laughs) 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 just testing, just testing, being aware and being ruthless, they're things that we can do, aren't they? Yeah, they're the things that we can do ourselves. We can try and be more aware. We can do those things. But we all know that to really, (laughs) to really rule over our sinful nature, we can't actually do it all in our own strength, can we? We can't. And why would we try? Why would we try when Jesus sent us a greater power? Yeah? Indiana Jones won that fight because he had the greater power. He had a sword, the other guy. He had a gun. It was a greater power. And we have a greater power. It says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in us. So my third and final point is that we need to be filled. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, in terms of ruling over our sinful nature, the Holy Spirit, he's a game changer. Yeah, we can struggle and struggle with issues in our life and we might make some difference. But let me tell you, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a game changer. Yeah, Yeah? Jesus um, sent the Holy Spirit to help us. It says he's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. You know, he reveals truth when we read the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth in it to us. But how did he appear when he first came to the disciples? When he appeared, he came as fire. Do you know what fire does? It consumes. It refines. It purifies. Yeah? It gets rid of what is unwanted and just leaves what is precious. Yeah? And the Holy Spirit can do that in us. He can do that in us. As we walk with him, as we're continually filled by him, because when we become a Christian, we we get a measure of him. But the Bible tells us that we can be continually filled to overflowing with him. And as we walk in the spirit, as we pursue God, as we, we walk in him, by our very nature of walking this way, we're walking away from sin. We're walking away, and as we walk in the direction of the Holy Spirit, as we allow him to work in our lives, and as we grow in love and joy and peace, we're leaving 
the sin behind us. It loses its grip on us. I think that's the line from a song as well, isn't it? But it loses its grip on us because we are moving away. The gap between us and the door where sin is crouching gets further and further away. I'm writing a blog at the moment about my nan, Nanny Pierce. That's Keith and my dad's mum. I always said after she passed away that I would do that. Um, she passed away 10 years ago, so I told you I do get easily distracted. But I've started it now. And she is an incredible woman of God. You know, if you'd met her in her, le- this is one of the things, you know, if you'd met her in her later life, you would think she'd had a really easy life because she was just really joyful and just always so passionate about God, you know. And she cites the turning point in her Christian walk as the moment she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, she, she says at that point, things changed. It took her to a new level in her Christian walk. And if it's all right, I just want to read. She actually wrote some, um, some thoughts down. It really is. Alexa was right. It really is blowing a gale out there. But I just want to read to you something she wrote in her little notebook. And um, she talks about sort of being through the war years and how, um, how it was got really... Sorry, just getting the right page. Um, You know, how it was really difficult. But she said during those years, she really developed this hunger from God. You know, being in an air raid shelter for 12 hours from 6 till 6. Her hunger for God grew. And she said this, I got so hungry to be right with God. I knew I was the only member of my family who had not received the baptism. So she grew up in um, the Salvation, um, Salvation Army Church. And, you know, she loved God from a really young age, but the rest of her family had received the Holy Spirit in all its fullness, and she hadn't. And she said, so I sought the Lord. I felt I should ask someone to pray for me, but how could I? Surely it should not have waited so long. Another request as I prayed, and Lord, let me receive it quietly. And then she put, what pride, exclamation mark. And then she says, Peter Scutham was at Croydon conducting a mission. At that time, my friend and neighbor was badly crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. She received an instant healing and was the talk of Fern Lane. That's where she used to live, Fern Lane. The next night, I took somebody else along to be prayed for. I sat in the front row. Peter came on to speak and decided he would pray for those that were seeking the Lord or being filled with the Holy Spirit. My heart was banging like a sledgehammer, but I raised my hand. As I took 10 steps out, it was as if a mantle covered me. The wonderful power of God enveloped me. Needless to say, I nearly raised the roof. I felt, and then this is the bit, I felt that God had burnt the dross up in my life. A baptism of fire, the joy has never left me. Yeah? And you know, the Holy Spirit, I just want to say he's a game changer. You know, the things that he can deal with, you know, he can do with an instant. I remember a time in my life where I was really struggling with some unforgiveness. And if I'm truthful, it probably had taken a bit of root in my heart. And you know, when someone mentioned, you you feel that anger and I could feel it. And I remember just kneeling before God in my room and just saying, God, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Yeah, I don't want it. I don't want that unforgiveness to to take root. Can you deal with it? And I remember just asking the Holy Spirit to, to work in me. And I remember crying. 
you know, just kneeling there and sobbing, not kind of, <laughs> but deep. <laughs> Ever had that? That deep, deep kind of guttural crying. And I can't explain it in any other way that when I'd finished crying and I stood up, I felt differently. I can't explain it any other way, but the Holy Spirit had done something in me. I am not the same person now as I was when I first believed. Yeah? God has dealt with things, and I'm sure you feel the same. You know, God has dealt with things. You know, sin doesn't interest me anymore. As I've grown more and more in love with God, you know, as I've sought him more, you know, it doesn't interest me anymore. We need to be aware. Yeah, we need to never put our guard down when it comes to sin. We need to be ruthless. Yeah, do what we can do to cut it out of our lives. But most importantly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that changes everything. His power in us does something that nothing we could do on ourselves would ever achieve in our lifetime. And just as I close, I just want to point out God's goodness. You know, at the end of this story, you know, after Cain has messed up and he's sent off and Cain's like, it's too much, you know, they're going to kill me now, aren't they? What does God do? He marks him. He says, uh-uh, you still belong to me. No one can touch you. And I want to just encourage us that when we do fall, which we probably will at some point, even though we are doing these things, sometimes we will, God is always gracious to us. You know, it says as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he's removed our transgressions for us. It actually says he remembers them no more. So if you've confessed something to God, he's dealt with it. It's gone. It's wiped clean. Yeah, and that is the goodness of our God. I know we've kind of run over, but I just think just, I always really think it's good to respond when we hear something. So I think if we can just sing goodness of God again, maybe. And just during this time, just during this time, what, what I'd say to you, you know, maybe you are in the right place already, you know, things are good, you know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You might just want to take this moment just to say, thank you, good God, for your goodness that you have done this for me, you know, that you've forgiven me, that I am walking in the Spirit. You might want to do that. Maybe this morning as I've been talking, you know, you're thinking, okay, maybe I need to have a little bit of a heart check. Maybe some of the things are kind of just pricked at your, your thoughts and your heart. You know, just take a moment just to search your heart. Maybe there's some things we need to hand over to God this morning. Maybe some sin has begun to take root. Maybe we've been caught in this cycle of sin, shame, forgiveness, sin, shame, forgiveness. And we're like, no, actually, I want to put a stop to it now. You know, God says I can rule my sinful nature. And you might want to say this morning, Lord God, I want to, I want things to be different. Yeah, I want to rule my sinful nature with your help. I don't want it to rule me anymore. Maybe that is your prayer. Or maybe this morning you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe, you know, it's been a long time since you were. You know, and you want to ask God to fill you this morning. You can do that in this moment. You can come forward. I'm sure Liam and Emily and myself will pray for you this morning, you know. But let's just, just take a few moments just to respond. Because if you're like me, I want to grow in my likeness of Christ. Yeah, that is my desire to move forward, to be more like him. Change is good.